Do you ever get that not-so-fresh feeling? Why, yes, I do. I just don't feel confident throughout the day. Well, I have just the thing for you. Sigil of Baphomet. Sigil of what? Sigil of Baphomet. I was like you, lacking confidence, possibly smelling to high hell. But the second I placed Sigil of Baphomet around my neck, my inner fire burned so bright it consumed my awful stink instantly. Now I have my confidence back, friends. And that little impotent problem I told you about? Yeah. A thing of the past. That's amazing! Sigil of Baphomet did all that for you? It sure did. And it can do it for you, too. Wow! Well, how can I get Sigil of Baphomet? One word. I Satanist. I Satanist? That's right. I Satanist. Well, thanks for the advice. I'm gonna go check out I Satanist right now. Thanks! Good luck, stinky motherfucker. I Satanist did not approve this message. Hell, they didn't even know about it to approve it or reject it. In fact, if they did know about it, they likely would have rejected it outright. I Satanist and Sigil Baphomet do not eliminate odor or erectile dysfunction. Not available in all countries, ethnicities, or religions. Not approved for children, the elderly, or the homeless. Keep it off the skin and do not swallow. If you swallow I Satanist or Sigil Baphomet, seek medical attention immediately. Sigil Baphomet by I Satanist. It may be right for you. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It's December 28th, and I've got a fantastic show for you this week. And this week, I'm being joined by the one and only Amar Stover. How are you, my man? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, dropping a little cameo in the holiday special. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Getting a lot of positive feedback from that thing, so uh, it's always nice to to shake it up with a different voice. Hell, yeah. Um, well, let me let me go over what we're going to do in the show and, and why you're here specifically. Okay. Uh, we're going to start off with Agent Provocateur, episode 19, the responsibilities of rectal feeding in a civilized society. And then uh, Milton Eroticism, episode 19 as well, on polyamory, romanticizing group sex. And we're going to do a little creature feature. I get a lot of requests for this segment, specifically the interviews. And that is exactly why M.R. Stover is here today. He's going to be joining me in that section. We're going to talk a little bit about him, a little bit about his writing, and just, uh, you know, give you a good overview of who M.R. Stover is. And we're going to close it out with an old Nick's peep show. This is going to be episode 15, The New Year and New Issue Tease. And that's going to do it for the show. But before, of course, as always, before we start uh, into the, the mean potatoes of it, this is the last episode of XLIX Anosatanis of this year. This is the last episode. So next year, apparently, at least according to my looking into it, is going to be year L, which is really, really weird when you're thinking in terms of, of like naming an episode. So it's going to be like 01 January L. It's just a, I don't know, it's kind of a weird thing for me. Do you know anything about Roman numerals? Yeah, L is, what, 50? Yeah. Fucking 50. Weird, right? Yeah. I don't get that. That's so weird. I mean, the entire year, like, sort of system that Anton LaVey set when he, in, in 66, he did, this is year one. 
So it's not actually like the first, the complete first year of the Church of Satan. Uh-huh. Like year one is actually zero. So even though next year is going to be 50 on a Satanus, it's really actually year 49 of the Church's existence. <laughs> a little kind of, kind of weird breakdown. I know it confuses me. It confuses a lot of people out there, but that's how we roll. That's... <laughs> That's what we confuse the shit out of me anyways. I always yeah, right? I don't, like, uh, what is what is that? <laughs> I don't think I mean maybe we did like the basic one through ten yeah. in some part of grade school. Maybe. I don't remember ever touching on it after that. But it seems like it's something that I mean, just for example, if you're a sports nut, then the Super Bowl uses <laughs> Roman numerals. Yeah. So we it it seems like it should be somehow taught in some manner i just don't think it is you would think so i mean i really don't use past three if i do them at all (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like a bullet list or something that's about as high as i can count anyway so it doesn't really matter so did you have a good weekend this past weekend the holiday weekend it was pretty good yeah i had a lot of fun with my family we got a lot of stuff for the kids and they enjoyed themselves it was nice. nice and they started breaking the play sets like immediately after I put them together. <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> Seconds. Yeah, pretty much. That's how it is. I'm, I'm coming off hot off the heels of a really fantastic like gathering of friends. Like this doesn't happen for me. Like, some weird occurrence or just a bad thing that happens. But I had like three other couples over last night each one of them I absolutely adore in their own ways. They're all completely different. And we had a wonderful dinner and drinks and sort of games. And it was just a really great night. I can't believe I did not have one fucking complaint about the entire night. It was just so weird getting that many people in one tiny little house like mine. And everything just going off quite smoothly. And it was weird, but I had a really, really great time. Oh, that's good. Um yeah, that's the and that's the way I love to celebrate yeah. any type of holiday or anything is getting together with those you either love or respect, and uh, imbibing. I guess in my case, right? Well, <laughs> I, I mean that's probably my favorite part of getting together with anything or anybody. <laughs> <laughs> There's always like like the weird moment where, like I whenever I say be here at this time, I anticipate people are going to be coming. You know, an hour later. Uh, you know, uh, from a half an hour to an hour later, just sort of casually rolling in because obviously I'm not like waiting for that hour to strike to, you know, start serving everything. And it's just a, a informal thing anyway. So you, you expect people to just sort of meander in whenever they are. Every single person said, oh shit, you know, I'm really busy. I'm going to be late. So I was expecting that everyone was going to be around, you know, like an hour and a half late. Mm. Uh, it was like, a, all known knows like 15 minutes after I said people started rolling in and there's always that weird moment when you're like the first person into a party, you know, into like a, a dinner gathering or something. We're like, Oh, lots more people are going to be here soon to ease this awkward tension. Like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Like, do we start drinking now and then <laughs> be completely it, fucked up when everyone else gets here? Like, I don't know what to <laughs> fucking do now. I think it's best when you show up just to immediately start drinking because that just that's what that's what I do <laughs> just come with your own flask yeah hey, you're not gonna offer me a drink I'm just gonna start you know I've been drinking before I came what are you talking about <laughs> I gotta lubricate my mind I gotta get in the mode yeah no it, it was a really wonderful night anyway um, yeah. it doesn't happen for me that often so I had to mention it um, oh I did mention uh, to the uh, I don't know the, the social followers of nine cents that I did finally land on 
a new theme song every year. If you haven't noticed, I recycle and uh, not recycle, but I get a new theme song for Nine Cents to bring us in and out of each episode. Oh yeah, I've done some sort of classical scores, like orchestral. I've done some, uh, I, I don't know, almost like um, uh, some I don't know, dark electronic ambient. ambient. Yeah, I got I, a little like weird blue folksy blues thing right now. That was I like this year's one. It was done by what Jeremiah yeah. Crow. Yeah, he's yeah, I love his music. His music is fucking amazing. Hell yeah. I mean, completely different than what I hear around. Oh, no, it's totally different than interviews. anything else you ever hear anywhere else. Yeah, super fucking cool. And I love if, if you're one of those people who listen to the entire episode and then just stay on till the very end of the music. I do. There's some really great use of instruments at the very, like unconventional instruments at the very end, like chainsaws and shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's got some pretty crazy shit going on. I like that about him, about what mm. he does. I really enjoyed his intro. I really enjoy his music. In fact, yeah. it's on my phone. I listen to it on the way home from work and shit sometimes too. So, <laughs> yeah. so I've got a... I've reached out to this gentleman before, but this one coming up, I said I was going to tease it, and I'm actually going to play a little bit here in like just a second to give you a taste, just just to wet your beak a little bit of yeah. what it's going to be. But and there's always that weird transitional period. I'd say like the first two or three episodes, you, you I, for me, I'm never quite used to the new one. But this one, I've I've got a video planned for it, like a promo video planned for it. I mean, I'm. I, I'm fucking like on with this song. Nice. It's so good. So I reached out to Gyps Volvis. All right. I reached out to this guy professionally. Yeah. For music when I need something scored. So, I mean, he is just an amazing, amazing musician who can play such a wide range of instruments and can compose literally on the spot. That's like, another person I listen to frequently. Yeah. I mean, he... I, I expect, you know, give me like three weeks and I'll give you a riff of a song or something. And he's like, the next day, here's five examples. Nice. I'm just like, holy fuck, these are fully realized tracks within a fucking day. Like, how is that even possible? But he is just so goddamn good at what he does, which is why I always go back to him. And uh, this one is so damn good. So let me give you guys a little taste uh, right now. Um, okay, let me, before we start in here, I, I gotta, I gotta go off on this little rant. And I'm hoping, uh, Matt, that you don't have to do this. Uh -huh. Um, my, my son was having a sleepover at, uh, my house with his friend. And his friend is severe, like, I've never seen anyone this bad. Severe ADHD. Um, I mean, he's just got weird mannerisms and his behavior and his attention and his body jitterings and like contorting himself. It's just so fucking weird. Like just being around him makes me want to try to smack sense into him. You know, like this is how that, this is what you would do if you were circa 1920s, you would just try to smack sense into kids. <laughs> you're not doing what you're supposed to just do it. <laughs> the shit of it. Just Yes, yeah, right in their head, smack. Child abuse now, so I don't. Right now, I don't do it, but that doesn't mean I don't want to. <laughs> I fucking want to smack this kid so bad. Um, and so just dealing with him, he, and and he's a picky eater. Like you can't be fucking like jittery and jumpy and twisty and 
have no attention and be a picky eat. Like you have to have something normal or you're just like this aberration. You're like the fucking Sasquatch of children. You shouldn't exist. And yet here you are like literally everything that could go wrong with a birth is in front of me right now, this kid. Just staring so, you in the face. Yeah. Demanding. Ugh. And so whenever they sleep over, they always, you know what every fucking kid does. They yeah. like run around, they go out, like my son got this kick-ass bow, um, this compound bow to go um, deer hunting with. Yeah. And so he, they were out in the backyard shooting arrows and they came inside and they're playing video games and watching shows and YouTube and giggling and squealing like fucking little girls. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're young enough, that's what boys sound like too. Pretty much. And, um, uh, so they're always up way later than we are. So I crash. I wake up like crazy early in the morning always because I'm in my own way quite retarded. And I go to uh, the bathroom and the toilet seat is up, which in my house is it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And there's literally shit on the toilet seat and the toilet is not flushed and it is like a pot, a mound like you find in a campground oh, in like God. public land a mound of toilet paper and shit and i'm just like, th- like there's how do you not know that you just like <laughs> shit exploded somebody's fucking bathroom and like Think just left it- all your fucking fecal matter all over the place like everywhere like, do like, you not know that you sh- it had to be a cartoon where he started on the seat but he shit so much that it pushed him off the seat and he was literally like balancing on his own shit pile and it's like spilling over onto my seat. That is the only rational explanation for what I came across. What the, and what, so, what'd you guys feed him? I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> well, and that's it. He's a picky eater. He didn't eat at my house. Like nothing. So I don't know what the fuck this kid ate, but it wasn't right. Like it wasn't fucking right. So... Um, it was like some wild coyote Acme TV dinner or something because there's no way this was a normal, like normal daily thing. Uh, he must have been like saving up a year's worth of shit just, just so shit when he slept in over. your toilet to not flush it, <laughs> just to fucking piss you off. Motherfucker. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah it was. I'm going to shit in your toilet and not flush it. <laughs> So I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, okay, maybe my, I, I don't want to yell at this kid. Yeah. I don't like to yell at other people's kids. Mm. So maybe it's one of my kids. And so I like go to one, each of my kids in turn, as soon as they wake up, did you use the bathroom last night? Is this you? And they're like, oh no, 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 <laughs> no, this other kid, he was the last one to use it. And so I was like, okay. Uh, now what do you oh yeah. And one of his other dysfunctions is that literally the entire house is alive and active. He's still sleeping on the couch. Like, in the middle of morning activity, uh-huh. he is just conked out. So fucking weird. <laughs> uh, so as soon as he wakes up, I'm literally, like, right in front of him, mm-hmm. coffee in hand, hand on my hip. Did you shit my toilet last <laughs> night? <laughs> he's like, he's literally, he doesn't know. He's like, I used your bathroom. I was like, I don't know how you do it at your house. When you're in my house, you are responsible for everything you do. Yeah. That means if you're going to shit up my bathroom, you will flush the toilet. And if you shit on the toilet seat, you will clean it off. It is not acceptable. My kids do it. You will do it. Do you understand me? And he's, and he's never been talked to directly yeah. in his entire life. So he like literally covers his face, which is another thing I wanted to smack him over. <laughs> he's like mutters under his breath. Okay. Like he was so embarrassed or 
I don't know. I, I, maybe scared because I was aggressive looming over him. Whatever it uh, was, you just, oh, okay, okay. I, you know, I don't think people are really being well, – I don't think they're used to people talking to them directly like that anymore. <laughs> like you need to do this because yeah. of this. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, nobody ever yeah, I'm, I'm special. I have participation. Everything I do is gold. <laughs> right? My mom says. It's all good. My teacher says <laughs> so, it's special. I'm I'm angry at him, and then I immediately say, you know what? He's literally a product of parenting, so I can't blame him. No. So there is parents out there that flush the kids' toilet for them. There are parents out there that instead of teaching their children how to actually be human beings, mm -hmm. they're doing everything for them. Yeah. No, everything. I, I stopped. I never did that. I'm like, hey, you fucking, you make the mess, you get your ass out of here and clean it up. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I get it if there's like a hive of activity at your house and rather than trying to talk to your kid, you're trying to entertain. So you just say, oh, I'll talk to him later and you flush it or something like that. Uh -huh. But part of just living as a parent is instructing children well, on I mean, behavior. And you gotta, so you run across the shit pile, you come and tell them, hey, whoa, whoa, this is unacceptable. Yeah. This is proper behavior when you come across the pile of shit right? that you have just produced out your tiny little ass how is it possible that you shit this much right you know it's like just trying to get people to do and take care of their own shit you know take care of their own shit literally sometimes yeah. it's, it's like it's fucking impossible people just like they're they are clueless about that they're like what do you mean i have to do what i mean i did but so and Come yeah on. like i can i can excuse some i i don't like it and i don't uh -huh. i don't do it myself but i can excuse some situations where it's easier for me to just take care of it myself rather than explain it away. Yeah. But when when you're when you're a parent, and, and especially in this case, it's not easier for you to clean up shit. No. <laughs> that is the, the least simple thing you could ever do in your life. Yeah. You gotta prepare for that. You gotta like put on gloves that snap right. back. You, you gotta like get goggles like in let's, Mr. Mom. Let's face it. Fucking let's, nose clips. When they're kids, you got to take care of it. But when, yeah, when they're older, wait. you're like, mm, I'm done with that shit. Literally, done with that shit. You, you take care of it. So literally, this parent is like, okay, my kid is going into middle school, and it's quite all right for me to continue cleaning up after them. Uh -huh. It's okay for them to do whatever they want, uh -huh. behave however they want, because either someone else will do my job for me, uh -huh. or they're just going to grow up to be a worthless fucking human being, and I won't have to worry about it because I'm going to kick them out of the house. Right. Like... How are we going to progress as a society if you can't even clean up your own shit? How? I fuck. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I mean, the future is, it's all to tell. It's what the fuck? It is bleak, man. It, it is. is so bleak. I, I, I foresee oh, a post-apocalyptic society <laughs> where people don't clean up after their own shit piles on your toilet. There's, this is the post-apocalyptic landscape. Yeah. Every shitter piled up <laughs> just fucking in the streets just piles of shit and toilet paper just wherever the fuck they want to yeah somebody else will clean it up <laughs> in the walking dead they're like scavenging for water in yeah. reality it's gonna be scavenging for a clean place to poo <laughs> it's just it's gonna be dirty it's gonna be pretty bad it's not gonna be a good thing yeah yeah oh my god i'll, I'll oh drink god. the punch thank you very much <laughs> all right um you know there is one more thing eh well, I was going to rant about breaking my kid's shit uh -huh. all the fucking time, but I think I'm going to leave it on the shit note. <laughs> that's, that's a better note to leave it on. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do a little agent provocateur. All right. I am not a liberal nor a conservative. 
I am not a Democrat nor a Republican. I am not a socialist nor a capitalist. I am not an authoritarian and I'm definitely not fighting for your cause. I belong to no party, I support no politicians, I am loyal to no state, and your cause celebra means nothing to me. I am Darren Deicide, Agent Provocateur. Welcome back to Agent Provocateur. I am your lovely and dashing host, Darren Deicide. Indeed, you have entered a free thought zone. Beware Sony Entertainment and North Korea. We love satire here at Agent Provocateur. Why do I keep using the pronoun we? Anyway, yes, we love satire. Satire is great. Satire is fun. I think satire is the mark of a truly free society. For it is satire that is the humorous edge of the critical mind. At the heart of satire is the iconoclast, who through the universal language of comedy is able to slyly hold a broken mirror up to the way most people see the world. It is truly the mark of a free press. All social revolutions use satire. You see it rife within the history of the American Revolution, the French Revolution, and all the major revolutions that were motivated by Enlightenment thinking. How else could a Luciferian Enlightenment come about but through such good-hearted fun? That being said, it is time to address a very serious topic. The responsibilities of rectal feeding in a civilized society. As many of you know, recently the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence released their findings on CIA torture in Guantanamo. This 6,000-page report was compiled over the span of five years when it was found that hundreds of recordings of interrogations suddenly went missing. 525 pages were declassified, leaving a good 5,475 pages to lead to the imagination. And boy... What could be imagined considering what has come out of these 525 pages? This led me to thinking, since America claims exceptionalism in so many different categories, how this new framework of torture is to fit within our superior, highly civilized society. After all, Pew Research Center conducted a survey on American opinion regarding the use of torture and interrogation, and 51%, a majority, said they were A-OK -okay with it. Well, we claim to be a democracy, so if the people want torture and 500 channels of entertainment, then goddammit, we must give it to them. After all, the contract between the company that developed these interrogation techniques and the CIA cost taxpayers $180 million, while the construction of the detention facilities cost $300 million for a whopping $480 million. We must account to the hard-working, tax-paying, torture-loving American. Now, let's not downplay the importance of torture here. There's a long, rich tradition of torture in higher civilizations. If there's anything the Inquisition, witch hunts, Protestants during the Renaissance, and everything before the English Bill of Rights and the establishment of international law has taught us, is that torture is not about extracting accurate information. People will say anything to stop the pain if you're putting them on the rack, pulling out their fingernails, and near drowning them. Besides, the CIA themselves in the report admit that what they did did not produce intelligence they were looking for. Quote, At no time did the CIA's coercive interrogation techniques lead to the collection of imminent threat intelligence. End quote. 
stated committee chair, Senator Dianne Feinstein. No, this is not about results. This is about fun! Sadism can be a barrel of monkeys. So if we're going to turn back the clock and somehow find a way to reconcile torture back into a presumably civilized society, we better do this right. The jargon the CIA used to describe torture was, quote, enhanced interrogation techniques, end quote. Enhanced. What a great word to describe this. The last time I tried to involve anal play with my girlfriend, I told her I was trying to enhance our relationship. She didn't buy it. I could have lied to her the way that CIA's directors George Tenet Porter Goss and Michael Hayden did to the U.S. Congress, the White House, and the press, but I wasn't looking to prolapse her rectum like Mustafa al-Hausawi's was. Have you ever seen one of those? Unfortunately, I have. It's the price one pays when living with the Den Arden for militant eroticism. I've seen it more than once and against my will. Not firsthand, of course. Al-Hasawi's pink sock came courtesy of the CIA. How impolite of the CIA to enhance its interrogation of Al-Hasawi without offering their own asses for his amusement. I always thought anuses were a mutual two-way street. I'll let you sit there and think about all the many interesting puns in that last sentence. So, let us remember that a real anal partner is a consensual anal partner. That is part of a highly civilized society, and we must rectify it. The stated goal of this type of force-feeding was to establish, quote, total control over the detainee. Apparently, these guys have never heard of topping from the bottom. Let's get more innovative here, people. Speaking of rectums, you're probably wondering how it is that somebody's rectum would prolapse. While in custody, prisoners were subjected to forced rectal feeding. Now I know from watching gay porn with a den that a prolapsed anus comes about through excessive penetration of large objects into the anus. We don't know exactly how the CIA prolapses an anus. That's probably part of that 5,475 pages we can't see. However, clearly they are not watching enough gay porn. You can't just go straight for the triple XL butt plug, people. You have to ease into this stuff. Sheesh. What a bunch of amateurs. Start with a finger. Maybe then go for a couple more. The point is you just don't go for the fist. We're going to need some procedural reform in this department. Now. Let's discuss a balanced diet when eating rectally. In the report, it is stated that Majid Khan was given a rectal feeding of pureed hummus, pasta with sauce, nuts, and raisins. What's the problem with this, I ask? This is clearly missing fruit, a very important food group. We all know that vitamin C boosts the immune system, and that would have really come in handy for Ghul Rahman, who died during the torture from hypothermia after being shackled and forced to sit bare-assed on a concrete floor. Maybe they should have pureed some Wheaties for his rectal breakfast. All I'm saying is that a dead man is impossible to torture, and what fun is that? I'm looking out for the American taxpayer. Never invest American money poorly. Now. If you think that everything I'm going to do in this episode is complain about what the report revealed, you're wrong. Some of my grievances have been addressed. For example, 
There is an excerpt that shows an interrogator forced a game of Russian roulette on a de detainee. Now, that's creative. There were also mock executions. That's what I'm talking about. The psychological torture exposed in the released documents show a huge measure of creativity. The report exposed the playlist they used in the detention block called Cobalt, which was a particularly nasty place. They played certain songs on loop, including, get this, Christina Aguilera. Oh, the humanity! If you put Christina Aguilera on loop while I'm in detention, I would find the nearest fabric of any kind and start fashioning a noose. Now, there is one caveat here. Innocent people. The report found that at least 26 of the 119 tortured prisoners were cases of my mistaken identity. Fuck them. They're getting in the way of our fun! Look. America is a country with many unique freedoms, but the polls are showing more and more that Americans are willing to relinquish them. The Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Establishment Clause, it's all just historical residue to most Americans. You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. This new breed of American, ready to belly up for authoritarian state, has to just go for the full Monty and reverse due process altogether back to Napoleonic law. If for any reason besides for some false sense of security, for the fucking fun, I believe we can be a country that does one thing and says another. I have hope for the future. Thank you for joining me on this Agent Provocateur. Don't forget to join us at facebook.com slash Agent Provocateur on Nine Cents. We'll be looking at the world through a more complete lens there. There I go with the wee stuff again. Good night, my fellow thought criminals. Why genies are trapped in bottles? Because they're a bunch of goddamn drunks! And like all drunks, they'll talk to anyone who will listen until somebody puts a cork back in the bottle. So, want a little drunken genie nonsense? Then grab a bottle of whiskey and rub one out! Or tune into Nine Cents the first week of every month and catch my segment, I Dream of Jesse. Salvation in the whole religion. Our God.
dogma is their king. With legs spread, with flesh mounted, we point out to our accusers, a slut alone is no slut at all. This I say to you, my fellow eroticists, my hands-on warriors, it doesn't matter who bends over. In the end, we are all degraded. Welcome back to Militant Eroticism. I'm Aden Arden, and this is Polyamory, Romanticizing Group Sex. It is no secret that I'm in favor of polyamory over monogamy. It simply suits my needs, both um, sexually and romantically. When the issue comes up in a group or a gathering that I'm present at, I get a bit irked at the things I hear from both those who aren't interested in polyamory and those who are. The former usually treat the idea as an extension of monogamy, and the latter treat the idea as a big sloppy hug or free-for-all. Either are true, and both are rather ridiculous. Polyamory is an umbrella term that can be described as non-monogamy, where there is more than one emotional romantic attachment. There are several different ways to stand under this umbrella, from solo polyamorous to closed group polyamory. Here I'll discuss the basic kinds of polyamory, how to best view the concept of it, and the ridiculousness I see marching down the poly parades. The thing that must be understood first and foremost is that polyamory is, at its base, a concept that lends basic principles as a template to where the individuals must build upon. Polyamory offers freedom to make your own rules. For example, my poly tribe could be, and would be, wildly different than another's poly relationship which is what I find so attractive about it. The different types of polyamory are mostly defined by how many are in the group and how it is arranged. For example, polyfidelity can be described as a group that can only have sex with those in the group, what I've described as closed group polyamory, but it's usually discussed as a concept, pretty much monogamy with more people. Solo polyamory is what I currently practice, close relationships with their lovers, although not in any formal relationship, and lives independently of them. This is what could be termed as an individual who has friends with benefits. Triads of three, quads are usually two couples in an arrangement, or four people, so on and so forth. The principles that tie everything together are honest communication, integrity regarding the rules, emotional commitment to the other members, the notion that love is not so finite that it is lessened when more than one person is loved, and yes, in a romantic sense, and that sexual relations are not romantic love. One could make this flowery by saying that polyamory is only about honesty and integrity, but I'm just cynical. These principles must be adhered to in order to have an effective group relationship and to effectively deal with jealousy. The latter being ingrained in everyone and a potential in every human relationship from family and friends to lusters and lovers. These principles are nothing new and considered in relationship counseling to be the foundation of any effective relationship, that determining what you want and honestly communicating that as well as your thoughts and feelings on the matter are integral. The primary difference in the philosophy is the thought that fidelity and pairs do not equal love. Polyfidelity is more about jealousy and health than anything else. While I would practice polyfidelity more for health reasons, I do get jealous over the oddest things, and I would expect my tribesmen to respect that. I should note here that 
fidelity and polyamory is about commitment to the rules more than sexual fidelity. If someone were to have a secret lover, it is the secrecy that is disgusting and not the sex they're having. Polyfidelity can be treated as sexual exclusivity with the group or a commitment to the rules that your group has. One cannot think of polyamory as an extension of monogamy, even if it is a closed triad, three people who only have sex with each other. The dynamics are different. In a polytribe of whatever number, the dynamic is closer to family or a group of friends. Human beings act differently in pairs than in groups, and this is repeatedly shown in any study you can find in any intro to sociology or psychology text, and hence the primary difference between sociology and psychology. In a family dynamic, it could be said that each individual is supposed to bring something to the table, or rather everyone has a job to do, and each individual is important for different reasons. This reads to me as the potential for appreciation for individual skills and can be used to treat each member's needs. Polyamorous relationships often require negotiations, like all relationships, but polyamory requires an actual dialogue before commitment instead of assumptions due to tradition. All relationships are business deals. While I so often hear that polyamory is about love for more people and is treated like a sexual orientation, I emphatically disagree with this. Besides the fact that fetishes are the results of a personality interacting with its environment or nurture and is not predetermined, I'll use myself as an example so why polyamory could be so appealing. First off, between us, I like group sex and prefer it over one-on-one. -on -one. Two, groups have always appealed to me. Packs of friends, family dinners, small intimate gatherings, and of course, more of the first thing that I mentioned. Thirdly, I'm not bound by tradition, and the polyamorous contract encourages an individual to create his or her own rules with others they deem worthy of intimacy. Freedom is my intellectual fetish, and polyamory necessitates I make up my own rules. I'm quite stern about the thought that a part of the attraction to polyamory is novelty at the least and group sex at the most. The whole one-on-one -on -one sex cannot be anywhere near the primary avenue of sexual expression, or at least the preferred uh, primary avenue. Hell, that's some of the fun. The main difference between polyamory and open relationships or swinging is what I would term the theme. The former concerns itself with intimate relationships as a possibility and, ex and an explicit desire, while the latter is concerned with sexual relationships, usually strictly. The polyamorous who claims strict love for more people and describes sexual relationships as, it, as if it's some loving, divine, beautiful thing disgusts me the most. They are worse than the monogamists that slut around with moral authority or the gay marriage activists who try to win the battle for equality by adopting the moral code that damns them. I find these positions weak and pussyfooting around with an air of apology for a desire. The most dangerous thing someone can do, and one of the most courageous things, is refusing to apologize or pussyfoot around with what you want. There is nothing wrong with a woman saying she wants more than one man, or a man saying he wants a few wives. There is nothing wrong with saying you prefer a dick in your mouth and ass at the same time than having to jump back and forth between the one. There is nothing wrong with wanting a group relationship or being in a monogamous one. There is nothing fucking wrong with what you want. Again, there is nothing fucking wrong with what you want. So, any questions or suggested topics, you can email me at adenarden at gmail.com or via the Militant Eroticism Facebook page, where I post the research that I use in these episodes.
always comrades keep your skirts up keep your pants down no matter who bends over you have your choices Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by author M.R. Stover. How are you, my man? I'm good. I'm very good. I always love these intros as if we weren't just talking. Right. We're, we've like been on the phone for like, ago. you know, at least half an hour. We're just talking about poop. So. And poop. Yep. We're past the intro phase. No, no, so how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so weird. All right, no, I, I, I'm good. I'm so super glad you're here. Okay, so talk to me. You're an author. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've got printed. Okay, well, let's just say you must hate money. Uh, right. Because you're an author. Yeah, no fucking kidding. <laughs> well, let's, let's start at the very beginning if okay. we can. How did you, uh, what, what started you down the path of the writer? Uh, you know what? It's a kind of a funny story. And, like, I'm, I, I'm an avid reader. And I was reading this fantasy series and I also study historical European martial arts and their arms and armor and what they're used for. And I was reading this fucking book and it was the most inaccurate fucking book I have ever read. And I was like, this is bullshit. This guy has no fucking clue what he's talking about. I bet you I could do something better. And I was like, oh, shit, maybe I can. Let's give that a shot. So 13 years later. 13 years later, I'm finally getting some stuff out there. Wow. Yeah. I've been uh, developing a dark fantasy series. And last year, or yeah, well, this year, in September, I tried to get published. I tried to send my book off and, and get it done, and I got rejected. I mean, it's, it's pretty common, you know. You mm -hmm. expected that to happen. And then I thought, oh, hey, genius idea. Let's get some short stories going. And then I contacted Michael K. Silver from the Nightmare Engine, threw him a pitch. He said he'd like to see it. So I wrote it up, sent it to him. And about a month later, he told me, hey, it's good. And I was like, cool. Let's just roll with this. And I've been rolling with this since April, and I've got a ton of work out right now. A ton of work. Wow, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, for those who uh, are in social networks and, and do follow you, they, they will see a lot of, I mean, you have stuff published in Amazon.com right now, right? Oh, yeah. Amazon.com, yep. So what are, what are some of your, uh, let's say, <clears throat> that you submit to you? I mean, you just mentioned the Nightmare Engine. Has, yeah. has, is there anyone else you've submitted your work to? Um, yeah, I've submitted to um, Infernal Link Magazine. And I'm actually, right. I talk to Dave and uh, Hydra quite often on social networks, and I've got a piece coming up in their October 2015 issue, and I've also submitted to Old Nick Magazine. I wrote some really fucked up splatter porn that nobody <laughs> probably should read. I'm still waiting to hear back from them on that one. So, you know, whenever uh, Magister Bob gets back to me, I'll let you know. Yeah, um, yeah that's cool. Other than that, I've just kind of been doing my own thing and putting out my own work and getting in where I can get in. I've got a series in the Nightmare Engine, actually. It's going to be an eight-part series. It'll be what I'm considering the Nightmare series or the Nightmare Engine series for uh, my character, Jacob E. Ash. And I've done a lot more work with him. And I've sent out some stuff to Aaron Mantle on Satanic Storytime. And mm -hmm. uh, he's narrated one of my uh, three-part short stories called Phantoms on his uh, podcast, episodes 12, 13, and 14. I have some wow. work coming up 
two for the Satanic Player Society. It's run by Colin Martin. Um, it's going to be posted on the church's Facebook site, I think, for participants so they can kind of get in there and get a get a part to play since it's a voice acting group. And then I've just recently submitted two Jacob B. Ash stories to Aaron, um, a creature feature featuring uh, Draugr, which is an ancient Nordic vampire, and Jacob B. eliminating him in a two-part story called Sanguinivore and Draugr. So look for that in the future. Wow, so you're really not <laughs> taking a break or anything. No, you're I just mean, diving I, head first. I work every day. I, I do at least an hour or more working on my rough drafts. And then I do at least an hour or more in the morning um, just going over my final drafts and just head on. Every day I work at my regular job, I work on my writing. So I'm just pumping out material. In fact, if you keep an eye on the news feed, because I'm going to be releasing chapter one of The Thirteen Nights of Death, which is kind of a prequel novel to my already written novel, I'm going to be really releasing one chapter at a time, and there's going to be 13 chapters. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I've been working on it, and it's pretty fucking good. It's bloody, and it's violent, and there's going to be a lot of sex in it, and just a lot of people, just horrible things happening. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, for the kiddies. Yeah, it's for children. It's a children's book. <laughs> it's a children's tale. I even, you know, it's a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. Don't do this, because then <laughs> bad things will happen to you. <laughs> That's fantastic. Where's that drive come from for you? I mean, are your parents do they, do they instill something in you as a child? Did you did you look up to someone? What what is it? Well, my uh, my dad read to me, and I picked it up from there. And I just I've been reading and reading and reading, and I've got a pretty fucked up imagination. And this <laughs> kind of shit's just been bouncing around in my skull for years now. And I finally just decided I was going to put it down and get it on paper <laughs> and just roll with it. And I like I said, I've been developing this fantasy series for 13 years just really getting into the nuts and bolts and things down to um, languages and different languages and inflections and religious things and just the whole nine yards, you know, just every detail I've been just working on covering for 13 freaking years. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So I've written most of it. Um, I've got like I've got a trunk of just unfinished work. I've got at least five novels in that trunk and the makings for the rest of the series, which is keeps increasing in its number. It was originally 14 books long, and now it's probably going to be about 18 or more now. I don't even know how long it's going to be. It's just It pretty much writes itself at this point in time. I, I put pen to paper, and then things come out, and they're, they're pretty decent. So, <laughs> so what, what's the process for you like? Um... I mean, you've been working on it for this fantasy series for, you said, 13 years? Yeah, 13 years. Sort of uh, brainstorming it and, and letting it coalesce in your mind. Uh -huh. um, what's the creative process like for you? I mean, do, do you like to work with pencil or pen and paper? Do you like to use a keyboard on a computer? Or do you like to use a typewriter? I mean, what is it? I, I do pen and paper first. I do a rough draft on pen and paper. And because it's mobile, I can carry it with me. I can kind of take a look mm -hmm. at it. And uh, it's always going to be available to me as a physical copy. Whereas if I had it on the computer, I'd have to go find a computer. If I was out doing something, it wouldn't be on my phone. So I, I kind of keep it with me. Um, I guess the creative process really is is that I just – I think of something, uh, a scene, a, a speech, a an idea to impart. And then I just kind of put pen to paper and write out that particular part 
And then that particular part just kind of flows into everything else that's going on. And if I'm really familiar with the character, it's almost like I'm not even doing it. I'm not even making an effort. Just it's happening by itself almost. It's weird. <laughs> so do you do you write the characters or do you sort of channel the writing through them? Like do you put your mind in the character? I put my mind in the character and I feel like it just kind of channels himself through me after a certain point in time. When I'm familiar with the character, it just kind of writes itself. I mean, they have their own inflections and um, ideas and their own demeanor and their own personality. And it just kind of comes out after so long. And you just, okay, I'm going to write about this character now. And they, they're like this. And they have this kind of sense of humor. And they're developed this way. And they just kind of flow from, you know, pen to paper. It's, it's pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, as far as like the – let's talk about like maybe a – and the scope, and I know this varies uh, depending on the story and stuff like that, but yeah. the scope of a, a short story, yeah. um, how long does that normally take you to get through? I mean, from, from concept to execution. Uh, from concept to execution, I would say you've, uh, probably about three weeks if I work on it, if I'm, if I'm mm -hmm. focused on it. I, I got the idea of what I want to do, and then I do the uh, – like say let's take my uh, Sanguinivore and Draugr, for example – um, I wanted it to be a creature feature, so I wanted the perspective from the monster. If you're not familiar with uh, Jacob B. Ash, and maybe some of our listeners, some of the listeners might not be, Jacob B. Ash was a man who was born in the medieval days, and after coming back from a war, his family was assaulted by a group of bandits. They left him for dead. They tried to kill him first, and then they killed his family. In his dying breath, he made a deal with the devil to seek revenge on these people. And in doing so, having the deal granted, he became kind of the devil's assassin. It's his job now to go out and eliminate natural and supernatural beings who upset the balance of the earth, ordered around by demons and devils and Satan himself. So he's immortal. He can't die. So he goes out and finds these things on his missions and just assassinates them. So in Sanguinivore, there's this Draugr who wakes up in America after having been dormant for hundreds of years or whatever. And he finds this amazing food source in a modern town. And he just proceeds to just wreck the entire place. And in doing so, he catches the attention of the forces of hell. So they send Jacoby out to kill him. And what the concept is, is that, you know, you have this monster who's eating babies and just destroying everything. And then Jacoby comes in and he has to face his own trials and tribulations and his own sense of sardonic humor. He drinks a lot and gets all pissed off whenever things don't work out for him. And, you know, eventually he wins and I try to make it different every time. So it's not so repetitive since mm -hmm. I have a lot of work with him. But um, I enjoy it. I think it's a it's an excellent series. <clears throat> when you... When you do this, do you imagine uh, different different mediums that it's going to be represented in, or, or are you solely focused on the novella or the novel? Um, no, not really. I mean, I'd like to do series. I, I tend to do series all the time. I, I think I'm going to write a short story about one thing, mm -hmm. but then one thing leads into another, so I usually end up doing more and multiple stories that lead off from one, so I guess it might be a, a novella idea, since I tend to continue on with what I'm doing no matter what it is I'm doing. So, mm. yeah, probably. 
Do you ever see, I mean, because when you were describing uh, that story just now, uh-huh. I was seeing sort of comic book in my mind. I yeah, mean, yeah. Um, it's actually pretty comic book-esque. It's, it could be turned into a comic book, I'd imagine. It's, uh, you know, it's done by, you know, a story and it's done mm-hmm. in such a way that has, uh, you know, different things happen. There's, there's always, a, there's a, a formula, you know, Jacob be usually ends up getting killed in every single story <laughs> in the most horrible ways. And then he just wakes up and he's pissed off because he got stomped or squished or eaten or yeah. run over by a truck or decapitated. And he wakes up in these weird situations and is like, oh, God damn it. Seriously? <sighs> <sighs> Where's my whiskey at? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let, let me ask you about uh-huh. uh, influences. Who, uh-huh. who? It sounds like a lot of your writing is very uh, adult-oriented, dark, very. Um, blood, gore, sex. Where, where does that come from? Um, let's see. When I was a when I was a teenager, I liked the comic book Spawn a lot. Mm. So that's always been a big thing in mm. the back of my mind. I, I love that book, and I've read you know George R. R. Martin for freaking ever. I, I don't know how many times I've reread that series. Great series. And there's another series out there called The Black Company. And it's really high fantasy with really gritty, like, in-the-trenches realism. And I, I like that, too. And I thought that was an excellent series. Um, it's by Glenn Cook. And then um, the Sword of Truth series. If you've never read the Sword of Truth series, that's an excellent read. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just now getting back into it. And uh, I'm also a, a Stephen King fan, which is a recent development. I didn't read King until a couple years ago. Now I'm just eating up whatever he's got out there, which is yeah. a ton of work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So when you're when you're creating these characters, and, and we can you know specifically talk about Jacoby here for a second, uh-huh. where um, serial encounters and trying to make them different. How do you separate that from established? characters from other authors and i'll say for example spawn like how do you separate what you do Mm -hmm. uh, versus your influences Hmm. that's a good question um i don't i mean i I think that the characters that i have are pretty original um he's got uh just a whole different personality than what you usually expect he's not a very serious character he doesn't take things very seriously he's not Mm -hmm. you know a grim foreboding character but he'll still slice you to pieces and burn you alive you know this is kind of a kind of a humorous take on things it's not to be is his personality is not to be taken too seriously i don't know it's different um i guess the way i separate a lot of characters is i don't i i try to throw in this strange mix of dark sardonic humor and everything that Mm -hmm. i do or i'll have you know one character who will burn another person alive in an iron cage and then name his horse Daisy, you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, where can where can people go online to connect with you or to learn a little bit more about your writings and stuff? If you get on Facebook and you search M.R. Stover, you can find my author's page. And for an even better page, if you search the writings of M.R. Stover, you can get to my uh, Facebook blog page, which I post on frequently, what I'm doing, what I'm reading, what I'm working on, where I'm going with things, and you can also follow me on Twitter at TWOMR Stover. So that's where you can find me online. And I'm also going to be doing a book signing for anybody who's in the Tucson area. 
on January 10th at Bookman's on Speedway in Wilmont between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. And, and what day was that again? January 10th. It's a Saturday. January 10th. All right. Well, if you're in Arizona, check it out, guys. Well, uh, thank you so much for stopping in, man. Hey, you know, it, thanks it's really for nice. me on the show. <laughs> can we leave a, a little tease? Uh, you know, what, what are you working on? What's coming? What can people expect? Uh, the most recent forthcoming thing other than your appearance. Uh, okay. Um, keep an eye on the news feed because I've got uh, Sanguinivore and Draugr coming out on Satanic Storytime pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I've also have my Dead and Rotting Things, which is my voice play um, in the hands of Mr. Martin over there. And uh, I think that should be hitting the network pretty soon. So keep an eye on that. That will also be featured on Satanic Storytime with participants from the Church of Satan, which is going to be pretty fun to see who decides to pick which role and what they do with it and how well that goes and the kind of what they can do with my my script. And then also, um, chapter one of the 13 Nights of Death will be out pretty soon. And then look forward to another issue of the Nightmare Engine in the future. I don't know how long it's going to be, but it'll be out pretty soon. And that'll be the third third piece in the series for my Jacoby Ash stories for the Nightmare Engine called Vampire. Man, no so, no shortage of projects at all. No, no, I am just going. Stunned. I just keep going, and I mean, I got I get done with one thing, and I jump right on the next. I've got stuff set up all the way till the end of 2015 already. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, while you were uh, explaining your upcoming projects, I actually thought of one more thing. Uh-huh. So I, I want to ask you about that. Okay. So it, it's it's well and good for an, an author to create characters mm-hmm. and to create dialogue. And they hear the rhythms yeah. in their minds as they're writing them. And they, they have this fully realized character. But when you're writing a script uh-huh. and you literally pass that off, yeah. are you ever a little worried about how people are going to reinterpret the characters or, no. or the – Anything? You're, you're completely no. okay with that? Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, I, I wrote it for a purpose, and I knew what – I mean, I, I, I'm i not worried about it. I just – I'm not. I think that people mm-hmm. are going to be able to do a really good job on it. I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak, so I'd have a hard yeah. time no? <laughs> like no? creating these these wonderful characters yeah. and then just being like, all right, do your thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's good. I mean, I just you – know, I, I did it for them, so – Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you again, and let's uh, do a little Old Nick's Peep Show and close this thing out. Sounds good to me. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show. The only segment delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us as always is the very first Old Nick chick, the beautiful witch Marilyn Mansfield, and her handsome man, managing editor, Warlock Zoth and Mog. How are both of you today? We are very good, thank you. Thank you for having us. We're doing well as always. We're a bit hungover, but we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. holiday Starting the, uh, the holiday parties early, I see, as yeah, we're recording this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, well, I'm sorry you're feeling bad. A little hair of the dog usually fixes it for me, or a little greasy something or other. Yeah, we did uh, both. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, it is another month, and actually uh, the end of the year. Uh, this is the end of 2014 as we're recording this. 
And it's always interesting. I mean, we we're coming off the tail end of the fall episode. Or I'm sorry, the fall issue of Old Nick Magazine, um, which was a really fantastic one. And we're looking on to our winter. So when, you know, from this position of managing editor, um, Zoth, when you're looking at releasing a new magazine for uh, a winter season, do you, do you look at the season in, in terms of uh, the winter season specifically, in terms of the beginning of the new year or the end of the previous year? Um, it's more like the end of the previous year. It's kind of like the wrap up of the year. It's the looking back at what has been done throughout that year and kind of summarizing it all together into one issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, with that in mind, is there any chance we can get a little tease of, uh, what's going to come in the, in the winter issue? Um, without revealing too much at this point, um, I will say that there is a surprise cover photo that I think a lot of uh, gentlemen out there will enjoy. Um, I can say that um, we will be featuring um, the return of the burlesque star Scarlet Black, who will be illustrating the seven deadly sins, and we're going to have a fictional story written by an actual dominatrix, which should be a very interesting point of view. And, you know, of course, many, many beautiful ladies and many, many good articles to read. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I mean, it's a little unfair of me to ask because we are coming so close off of the heels of the fall issue. But, yeah, you know, I mean, you gotta gotta get a little tease in there. I love to know. I I love the anticipation and then the payoff once you get the issue in your hands. I think it's always great. Um, I mean, the the, the wrap-up of the year, as you're saying... But, I mean, every issue means you have to, as soon as you release it, you're working on the next season's issue. So um, let me ask you what you two think of, you know, when you create a new issue, like the first one for the next year, which is, you know, obviously going to be our our spring one. um, And sometimes it's going to be the the winter one, depending on how the time falls here. But uh, when you're preparing the one, the next issue for the first year. Do you ever take into account uh, how you approach the new year in terms of, uh, you know, do you try to freshen up the content? Do you look in any new directions? Do you, you know, what what kind of steps do you guys take to um, keep us interested as uh, your consuming audience? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you have to look into what's going to, you know, keep people coming back. Um, the, the great thing is that, you know, Old Nick is expanding and more and more people are contributing and, and um, you know, uh, finding it interesting and, and want to contribute stories and photos and, you know, submit for model modeling and stuff like that. So Yeah, that always keeps the content fresh yeah, and new. There's and... a lot of people, like, really, like, you know, inquiring about, you know, writing for the magazine, opposing for the magazine. Right. So, I you know, I mean... I think a fresh start is always like looking yeah. for, you know, new faces, mm-hmm. new, new bodies, new ways, new material, to, you know, right. yeah. new photographs per se, you know, it's a, it's a good way to start the new year yeah. with a, with the new issue, um, for that year. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if it was something that old Nick, <clears throat> let, let, let's pretend for a second that the old Nick is, uh, 
actually with us sitting right here and and he's he's planning out this new magazine with this new year um coming up what do you think old nick's uh resolutions would be or would he just throw them out and say fuck it i got my i i I, you know i have the way i work down pat why should i change anything no 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 i i feel if old nick were to be sitting with us planning for the next year, he would always be wanting to do something new, something different, something more um, eye-captivating, something that's going to pull you in and, and keep you there, you know, like keep you coming back for more. And that's what we always try to do with, with every new issue that comes out and as we sit around, and we do actually sit around and plan what we're going to do in the future regarding like how we utilize social media and the technology available to us. Um, that these are things that are already in the works that, um, you don't know about yet, but once they come, you're going to be pleasantly surprised at how cool (laughs) it's going to be. Nice. And I, you know, and I feel that's, that kind of embodies the, you know, the satanic aspect of the magazine is that we're not, you know, complacent with just being stagnant and repeating ourselves. We always want to do more and reach that higher level of, of how the magazine is, presented and how we utilize the brand through the technological mediums that we have yeah well that's i mean it is a a tribute to uh the brand itself that you have uh, so many people inquiring about writing or starring in or contributing in some way to the magazine you have this community that's built up around it which if you know, it's, it's always interesting because if it were a stagnant, stagnant thing, people would become bored with it and they would move on. They wouldn't bother uh, submitting questions or uh, trying to, you know, themselves be featured somehow in the magazine. Yeah. So it is a testament how, how, how strong it has grown throughout the years. And it is, I mean, it is really interesting. I mean, you and I have been talking, um, the three of us, on just on this podcast for, you know, a little over a year now. I mean, just barely over a year. So it is always a, a really fantastic um, uh, little trip down memory lane to see uh, all the different bits and pieces of content and how how wonderfully powerful they are in those moments. And then to see them each season uh, sort of passed on with new fresh content but what's wonderful about this is that you can always go back and you can always uh look at the majority of these issues uh either pick them up uh the physical printed version or the digital version so for those that are still available where could people go to find some of the previous issues of old nick magazine well, all of the links to our social media and to our print and digital downloads are all found on oldnickmagazine.com. As soon as you get to the homepage, you can click there to uh, preview and purchase the magazines. You can also um, see the links to the XXX digital versions of the magazines and also are the um, links to all of our social media where you can follow us and get the latest updates. And there's still time to get in uh, last-minute ads. So if you're interested in, um, you know, getting ad space, promoting your business, yourself, whatever it is, you know, um, contact info at oldnickmagazine.com. There's really great deals going on, as always, with the ad space. And you reach a lot of consumers. So, you know, it's, uh, um, it's worth it. Definitely. 
Well, let me uh, let me move a little bit on to you two individually because we do have the we are coming up hot on the heels as this is released of the new year. Um, I know we're a little bit far out for this, but uh, do you guys have any plans for the new year? Are, are you planning on uh, staying home and enjoying it together? Or are you going to go party and uh, have a blast? Um, we are actually going to be home with um, a few friends. Nice. <laughs> That's the way I like to do it. I personally do not enjoy commuting or traveling. Or yeah, going driving anywhere. in New York City on New Year's Eve is, is a nightmare. <laughs> and then, of course, no you, fun. you can't indulge and drink because you know there's going to be checkpoints all over the place. Traffic hmm. sucks. Parking sucks. You know, for me, that's just not enjoyable. And I want to start the new year surrounded by my friends and my family, my loved ones, in my home. You know, that's, yeah. that's a good way to start. It's kind of like setting precedent to what the year will be so if you're home with your family that's what your 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 year will be yeah that's how i always see it too i've always been confused by the people who love to go out into uh large open squares and party out there with complete strangers i mean this might just come from you know how I am as a family man, but I'd much prefer just sort of an intimate gathering of, of friends and family, just like you're speaking to. Um, the one you get a drink <laughs> and, and, you know, imbibe and however you like without fear of uh, having to find a cab or trying to, you know, get someone to drive you home or something. But it's just that being able to connect with the people you're with. It's it's so much, uh, in, in my opinion, it's so much better and it's, it's a better way to uh, appreciate what has come and, and what's to come. Um, and I know, uh, you know, for everyone listening, uh, being able to have, uh, even if it's only a little taste of Old Nick Magazine with them, uh, is always going to be a really wonderful um, addition to their new year. So... Definitely, everyone, go out, check out oldnickmagazine.com. And you guys are in social networking too, right? So, I mean, all the social networking circles, they can find you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All the links are on oldnickmagazine.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on um, Hello. <laughs> Google Hello. Google Plus. Uh, yeah, everything's on there, all the links. All right. Well, both of you, thank you so much. I truly appreciate your time. And, uh, Let's uh, raise a glass to another year of Old Nick Magazine. Definitely. Thank you, Adam. Cheers. Right, that's going to do it for another show, people, and I hope you enjoyed it. And I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. Uh, if you have uh, guests like MR Sober here uh, on an episode and you want to reach out to them, but you just don't want to go back to that part where they explained where you could go, shoot me an email and I will forward it on and I will uh, connect you with them in the best ways that I have to connect you with them. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Keep in mind, if you are uh, connected with 9 Cents, the show, through social networks, you're going to get a little bit of extra interaction. You're going to get little cutting room floor clips. You're going to get photos of uh, my ridiculously mundane life from time to time, just little glimpses and tastes. You're going to get an experience 
that is a little bit more in depth than this podcast is even capable of bringing you. So if you're into it, get into it. Download the show Mondays via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last FM, Stitcher, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9cents via iTunes by searching 9cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. For those of you who have checked out iTunes and have given me a rating and a comment, I really do appreciate it. If you give me a testimonial, <clears throat> excuse me, I post it back on the website, and it just sort of feeds that machine, that machine of weeding out the worthless satanic content out there. And I'm going to say small s satanic because the majority of podcasts out there that claim to be satanic are literally not <laughs> in any way at all. All right. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. The only way we're going to continue doing this podcast is if you tell a friend, share nine cents, continue to interact with us. We love it and we do it for you. Let's keep going, people. Once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by M.R. Stover. And until next week, hail Satan. Hail Satan.